there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Hope you are having a wonderful day, whether you're walking or biking to class. It is time for yet another caffeinated career conversation. And I am super excited to welcome today's T4C guest to the show. And that is because Mick Ebeling absolutely embodies and lives out the meaning of not just thinking positive, but making the impossible possible. Something that I hope all Java junkies are going to learn to internalize in your everyday living as you move forward in your lives. Mick is the founder of the Not Impossible Labs, which is a technology innovation lab that really does look for the answers to help people in need. Mick, welcome to Time for Coffee. I know you're not caffeinated, but are you ready to go? Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Mick, one of the things that really jumped out to me as I was preparing for this interview is, you know, the idea that we maybe as a culture or society think that something is impossible is a fallacy. And that at one point or another, there were so many things in our lives today, for example, whether it's a television, a cell phone, a car, the internet, computers, they were all impossibilities. So how do you think that applies to how Java junkies and the Java junkies or the young people who listen to Time for Coffee think about what careers are possible or impossible for them to pursue? You know, first you have to start with that basic premise is that historically, from a pure raw data perspective, every single thing that surrounds us today, everything, like look around, look left, look right, look up, look down, anything that you can see at one point was impossible. So if you just looked at it, it's possible now, obviously, otherwise you couldn't have looked at it, you couldn't have touched it, you couldn't have felt it. That basically proves that anything that was impossible at one point is now possible today. Anything that's possible today at one point was impossible. The phone, the chair that you're si- you might be sitting in, the computer, the whatever device you're listening to this on. At one point, that was impossible. And now it's possible. Now you don't even think twice about it. So for us, that's the lens that we look through when we're talking about any of the absurdities that we go out and try to change and solve is we look at the life, look at life and look at all of the things that are presented to us in life as if they are impossible right now, then they fall into the same pile of things that used to be impossible in the past, but that are on the statistical, historical trajectory of going from impossible to possible. So when you start to see life through that lens, that anything that is a challenge for you or is an impossibility for you right now is just impossible right now, or something hasn't been created right now, right now is different than impossible forever. Right now is a temporary state of being. Impossible is a permanent state of being. So for us, impossible is just a fallacy. It's a, it does not mean, it just means something does not exist at this moment. So when you're thinking about careers, the same thing goes. Every single career that you're looking for at one point The person that you're interviewing with was in your shoes or possibly had less experience than you. So I don't believe unless you're going to be doing something that is highly technical and highly, you know, uh, skill 
dependent that there is a career that you can't go out and try to get. There's story upon story about people going out and nailing incredible investing jobs, yet they've got no investment experience. Or, you know, those stories are abound. So I think that that my advice on, you know, looking at careers or considering careers is you have to go with your heart. You have to go the thing that really motivates you the most. And then all of the ingredients that you feel you need to get there, treat those as you know, definitely influences or things that you need to address, but it does, it's none of those things are make or break. When you were in school, I know that you studied political science. Did you have any thought that one day you would be a producer? No, I didn't even, when I was in college, I didn't even know what the word producer meant. That was something that I had no experience. I grew up in, you know, I was born in Long Beach, California, but I grew up in Arizona, which is not a lot of entertainment going on there. So until I moved out to Los Angeles, I didn't know what a, a producer, executive producer, a director, director, you know, a DP. I didn't know what any of those things meant. So if you could just super quickly, how did you break into it? I woke up at a friend's house who we, my wife and I got married. We were living in Spain and Portugal. We moved over with $1,300 to our name and promises to ourselves that we would not come back uh, on a credit card, that anything we, we couldn't spend more than $1,300 and we had to make money while we were over there. And so we made it work. We came up by, you know, Anything we had to do, we stayed over there to make money to live. And when we came back to visit our family for the holidays, I woke up on the in a friend's house on the futon in his living room, and he was clocking away at the computer. And I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Oh, it's this new thing, this new program, uh, this new animation program called After Effects." And which, if you're listening to this right now, you, I just dated myself because <laughs> you probably know when that came out. And I said, "Well, what is it?" He showed it to me, and he showed it how it worked. And I was thinking, "Wow, like that's amazing!" And he, I said, "Well, that's incredible. How do you get business? Like, how do people hire people to animate?" He said, "It's crazy. The phone just rings." And I said, "That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard." You just wait for the phone to ring? He said, yeah. And I'm like, that's dumb. That's not a way to, to have a career or a business. And he said, well, what would you do? And I said, I would make the phone ring. And he said, like how? And I said, I don't know how, but that's how we do it. And he said, all right, well, how about this? I know that there's a big conference going on in Las Vegas right now where a lot of people are that hire this kind of work. I know we were supposed to go surfing this morning, but why don't we do this? Heads, you go to the conference in Las Vegas. Tails, we go surfing. And I said, all right, deal. Let's do it. And so he flipped a coin and it landed and it was tails. Let's go surfing. And I stared at it and I looked at him. I looked at the coin and I reached over and I flipped the coin over to heads. And I go, looks like I'm going to Vegas. And so I got on a plane and went to Vegas. And I came back three days later with like a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, projects for him. And that launched the company and launched my career. Nick, you have shared how you've been able to successfully harness your own fear. And obviously, that was a a clear example of it, you know, at various points in your life to achieve impossible things or, you know, what you would say not impossible things. Has that been something you've always been able to do from the time that you were and thinking of our Java junkies still in school as a student? Or is this a quality that you have cultivated? And, you know, in either case, what is your secret sauce? You know, one of the things that I always say is that if you're scared, then you're in exactly the right place. And I think every time you're scared, you put yourself out there a little bit, 
a little bit nervous. Maybe it's an introduction to somebody. Maybe it's taking a risk and doing something that you don't, you're not quite qualified for, committing to do something that you're not sure you're in shape for. That's, that means you're progressing as a human. And that's how our species progresses. So I think it's something that you just have to, once you develop a comfort and a, and a taste for being scared and for putting yourself into those situations, I think that's when you start to see tremendous progress. So is that a quality that you've always had? I think it's something you develop. I mean, I always have been a bit of an adrenaline junkie and I've always been okay with going into a dark room with no lights and trying to find the switch. So, you know, I think that is something that I've had, but I also think it's something that you develop. I'm right now doing things and tackling different sports right now that I have no business doing, trying to do the things I'm trying to do. But I know that when I fall or slam into the concrete or into the water or whatever it is that I'm doing, I know that little bit of pain or that little bit of fear is actually good because, you know, the next time it's easier. What are the sports? The two things that are the most kind of aerial at this point are skateboarding and kite surfing. Both kite surfing has a softer landing in the water, but <laughs> has pretty extreme heights when you jump. And skateboarding is just slapping into the concrete at pretty, pretty hard. And I'm six foot six. So when <laughs> I slap, I, it, I go down. I go down pretty fast. Pretty There's a hard. lot of real estate to hit the ground. <laughs> There's a lot of real estate. <laughs> so going back to that to that Vegas story, how did you come back with hundreds of thousands in orders? What did you do when you were there? I, at the time, again, I'm dating myself. He, there was a little DVD player. And he had, my friend had a, a reel, like which is called a reel, which is basically a montage of work that he had done that was laid down against a Beastie Boys track. So it was a really kind of fun and lively track. And, you know, you could see in it and with, with really great visuals against it. And so what I would do is I would go into these booths and this was at a, a thing called MathP, which is all basically all the television networks. And I would walk up and I would say, hey, who here does uh, promos or donuts. Now, neither of those words, I knew what they meant. My friend just told me, hey, I work on promos and donuts. So it was kind of like someone saying, just say these words. And I'm sure I, I'm sure I miss said them. And, and I'm sure people could tell that this guy doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. So I'd finally get to the person, I'd say, hi, are you the person? I eventually learned the person's title was on air promos. And I, so I said, hey, do you do on air promos? Right? It's kind of like, do you do spaghetti would be kind of the similar question asking someone who's a chef. And they said, yes. And then I would take the DVD player and I would reach it out in front of me. And then I would look like I was going to drop it and their hands would shoot out to keep dropping it. And as soon as it was out in their hands, I would press play. And now they were holding it. It was playing. The act of shutting it off required like an extra two steps. And so most of the time I got people to watch the video, watch the reel that way because they didn't want to hand it back to me. Were you afraid when you were doing this? I'm afraid every single day. I mean, I truly am. I think every time I do anything, I'm afraid that I'm not, I'm not doing it right or I could have done it better. Or I'm not qualified to do it. But, you know, like there's, there's one of the sayings that I finished my first TED Talk with, which is, if not now, when? If not me, who? So I'm like, well, looks like I'm, I'm going give to give it a whirl anyway. What advice do you have for Java junkies who may have become, you know, whether you want to call it immobilized by their fears or, or just stuck? How do you think they can break free from what I would describe as the shackles of their own fears? Um, there's a lovely uh, story that I heard once that 
there was a woman who was 48 years old and she decided to go back to law school, which is, I think, law school is two years or three years? I think it's three. Three years. And her friend said, oh my God, you're going to go back to law school? Like you're 48 years old. What are you... What are you thinking? Do you know how old you're going to be when you get out of law school? And she said, yeah, the same age I'm going to be in three years if I don't go back to life, if I don't go to law school. And I've always thought that that story has always stuck with me because why not? Like, what's the absolute worst that can happen? We get so caught in our heads about, you know, what people think or what people might say. And most of those people you'll never see again. And most of those people would be... <laughs> would actually, they would actually remember you more if you took that risk, if you actually went for it. So I think that most of the fears that people have that stuck, that get them stuck, is so self-created that the rest of the world around them doesn't even doesn't have any context or care at that point about what they're putting, what they're risking. So it's really just a question of I think getting out a bit of that, um, and it's funny to say it this way, that narcissistic mentality that what you're doing is going to have such a dramatic effect that it's going to affect all these people and how they're going to think about you. If you're like, yeah, I'm going to do it, see what happens. And you just give it a shot. It's, it's, it's a far easier way to live once you actually get over that hump. Yeah. I think that people, some are just afraid of, of screwing up and of failing. Yeah. But how is that screwing up? How is failing screwing up? I don't see failing as screwing up. I, I started a business I've had three or four different companies. One of them I had to close because it was had a focus in the travel business and right around the same time that 9-11 hit. I learned more from having to start and then close that business than I would have ever learned at graduate school or getting an MBA. In fact, I call it, I just had a deal, a really, really big partnership that we had going that fell apart. And you know, it was really depressing. It was a great relationship and we were going to do some really good work together and it fell apart. And my wife and I now have that perspective of saying we call it our, we call it my MBA because of everything I learned there. So I don't really know. I think when people recontextualize how they see failure, then I think they'll recontextualize and see differently the whole concept of risk. I completely agree with you. And I was mentioning to you before we started this interview that I had spoken recently with Vivek Wadwa, who is in the tech world. And, and one of the things that he, that he said will forever stay with me, and that is life is a series of failures that are followed by successes that are followed by failures. It's life. Uh, I think it's chapter eight of my book is a very similar title. And that is fail, 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 succeed, repeat as necessary. (laughs) Mick, for Java junkies who really do want to change the world the way that you are trying to do and to live out the not impossible philosophy, but don't know how to code, does that matter? How important is it that they learn how to code or at least understand it better if they want to get into this world? I think that it goes back to being well-rounded and understanding. That's why I actually really enjoyed uh, political science is that you you learn um, how market forces, political forces, historical forces, economic forces give, you know, create certain outcomes. And so I believe then if you want to understand the world works, then understand the world. And if there is a, if, if technology is something that you're interested in, yet you're not a coder, 
then under at least have a contact, have some context or understanding about how that world works. It'd be, you know, it's like when you travel to a foreign country, if you don't learn how to say hello, goodbye, nice to meet you, what's your name, thank you, and where's the bathroom, you're going to have a pretty hard time while you're there. So at, le- at least become either, you know, almost respectfully conversational or respectfully aware of that language. And I think that the same thing goes for if you're trying to be in a business or trying to be in a choose a particular career path. One of the many things that I love about what you're doing and how you're inspiring people around the world to get excited about contributing to make the world a better place is the fact that you are working both as a philanthropist and as a major connector, like I see you as being at the center of a hub with all of these spokes coming out. And it's the Mick Ebeling kind of, you know, gadget that is bringing all these people together who can help execute on your vision. And without a doubt, and please disagree with me if if this is incorrect, but it, I think the fact that you have capital or money to invest can make or break these ventures. And my question really is, how can Java junkies who may just be starting out in their careers or will be starting out in their careers, and many of them have big student loans to repay, follow this incredibly important path of giving back and making a big impact and experiencing all the joys and excitement and deep kind of satisfaction of doing that? if they don't have the financial resources to underwrite it? Well, I would very, very respectfully, categorically, and very passionately disagree that you need financial resources to create any kind of success. I think that there's... There's case study upon case study about people who are broke who end up going and creating these incredible, you know, companies um, who create things and then have gone broke and then create companies and then go broke again. I can just use myself as an example. At what point do you call? At what point do you do you say is the starting line that having financial resources? You know, I put myself through college. I worked. You know, I was a bouncer at a bar. Um, after I got out of school, I got a job and I, I didn't save up my money to be able to then start a business. I lived, I saved some money, but it wasn't, I I don't believe that there's contingencies in life, especially as it requires, as, as it pertains to finances, that you need X to be able to do Y. No, you just need to do Y and you need to figure out how to generate X. Sometimes that's capital. Sometimes that's just brain power. Sometimes that's selling power. But there isn't a single thing that we have done at Non Impossible that did not ultimately require capital, but required, but we still did it anyway. And then once we actually started building it and it started to move forward and got momentum, it became the story of what we were doing was so compelling that we were then able to start to attract, uh, you know, partners and people who wanted to help us play that role, which was the financial role. But it didn't, it wasn't finances that were the precursor to it. It was having, it was just having the balls and the gumption to go for it and, and, and write it and um, declare it as something that had to happen and speak about it passionately and go out there and make it so that people felt like they had to get involved. And that's what led to the success. So uh, if anyone is listening to me right now, if you haven't shut it off already, I would say without a doubt, do not let anyone tell you that money is a precursor to success 
or money is a precursor to being able to, to live out your dreams or start your businesses. It's helpful. It's really helpful. It sure makes it a hell of a lot easier. But it is not the precursor to it. There's different ways to go about getting that, getting over the hump. Eventually, it will become a factor, but it doesn't always have to be the limiting factor. It doesn't have to be the starting gate. No excuses. Exactly. Commit and then figure it out is a fundamental principle for not impossible. Can you think of a time during your younger years when you were committed but couldn't figure it out? And if so, how did you manage to forge ahead and what did you learn in the process? Again, I don't, I don't think linearly. So there's been many times where we will have a path and we have a prediction of how that path is supposed to work and it doesn't work out that way. That happens all the time. We don't see it as not figuring it out. We see it as like, hmm, okay, let's put that to the side for a second and let's kind of work over here. You know, a lot of times what they say is when someone gets writer's block, the best thing to do is to stop writing and then go out and do something else because it activates another part of your brain so that you can, you can write. Um, that's the same way. It's like you don't need to see everything as this progressive linear path towards success or towards achieving something that, and oh, I failed because it didn't work out. Well, it didn't work out right now. And that goes back to that whole mentality. It might be, it, so it's impossible right now. It's impossible at this moment. It's impossible temporarily, but you know, don't, don't not throw everything out and start, you know, start again, keep that, put that to the side, keep driving down towards solutions or whatever it might be. And then, uh, and then go from there. Do you describe yourself? I mean, do you think of yourself more in a right brain versus left brain or do you not subscribe to either? Which one means what? Uh, that's such a great question. I think I only realized it a little while ago myself. I think right brain is the creative and left brain is kind of your the more linear kind of A, B, C, D thinking. Um I, I mean, I think I think all people are both. I think some people lean in on certain things, but I think it's you know it's kind of like you know if you're exercising only doing curls on your right arm, <laughs> you know you'd look a little lopsided. So I think understanding business and how business works and how contracts work and the motivations around why you know people and businesses do deals has is really it's not seemingly creative. It's really creative. It's really, I mean, it's not my favorite thing to do in what I do, but it's very creative. And then coming up with crazy ass solutions to things. Yeah, obviously that's the, that's the part that I really love. So I, I kind of see both of them as having aspects of the other when you're talking about how you're going to create some kind of solution. You mentioned your time in college. And one of the things that I thought would be interesting for Java junkies who may be considering transferring schools or may have transferred is to learn that you transferred from the Air Force Academy to UC Santa Barbara. And I'm just wondering if you would share with us why you decided to make that switch and if you have any advice for Java junkies who are going through a similar change right now in their academic lives. Well, I transferred because I went to the Air Force Academy because I could not afford to go to and pay for school. So the Air Force Academy obviously is free if you go. In fact, you get paid to go to the Air Force Academy. And so I went to that school and I also got a, I got a scholarship or I got, you know, uh, was able to play basketball while I was there. 
And it was an amazing experience. And then after a couple of years, after two years, I decided to change. And it was mostly because I was considering whether the military was going to be a long-term path for me. And a lot of that motivation was because I wasn't getting the playing time on the basketball court that I wanted. <laughs> that was a true motivation. Um, and, and so I transferred to Santa Barbara. Also, you know, the, the very reality of it is I also got in a lot of trouble at the Air Force Academy. And so I was, it was highly encouraged. There was a program that they had in place for any of the Mormon kids who were going to the Air Force Academy so that they could tackle, uh, they could go off and do their mission. But because they offered it to the Mormon kids, they had to offer it to everybody. And so they could go off and do, they could leave the Air Force, kind of go do their mission, and then they could come back. It was a program called Stop Out. And I was getting in so much trouble in my squadron that the, uh, the commanding officer suggested that that I apply for that program, basically, because once you leave and go and stop out, when you come back, you don't come back to the same squadron. So it was his very genteel way of suggesting to get the hell out of his squadron and never come back. So that was another thing that kind of made it happen. But it was a great experience. And, you know, that one is, that's nerve wracking, you know, the leave, leave a place to go in school and go into another one. But it goes back to what I said before, you know, being scared, and I'm potentially getting someplace and realizing that it's not the right choice. All right, we'll make a new choice. Or getting to someplace and it's the best choice. You'll never know unless you actually get out there and try it. You got you gotta you gotta get out there before you actually find out whether or not it's good or bad decision. And you're glad you did it. Oh my god, yes. Life is a series of sliding doors, right? You choose to walk in one, and that's from the grand to the to the minuscule. And every decision you make every day could have a ramification on the rest of your life. And now you can be paralyzed by that. Or you can say, this is amazing. What an amazing choose your own adventure book we live in. And that was just, that was a really amazing new chapter. I mean, it didn't help. I went from wearing a uniform and shining shoes to going to school in flip flops and like <laughs> putting a shirt on right before I walk last. So yeah, that, that would make it a little easier for sure. If you could go back to college and do it all over again, what would you study? You were poli-sci at UC Santa Barbara. And what advice would you give your younger self based on the wisdom you have now? I love political science. And I love telling people that I'm a scientist. And they're like, oh, really? And I say, I'm a political scientist. I really enjoyed the multiple kind of human effects, you know, they, they call it the humanities, the, the multiple effects that, that uh, play into how a society operates from literature to history, to music, to food, to climate, to, you know, wars, things like that. So I really enjoyed that. If I could go back, I would have studied more science for me. You know, I really, I loved science, but I felt like I was very weak at it. I was, I felt like I was very weak at it, but I would have said, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway, just because I, I enjoy it and maybe taken more classes pass fail. Um, I don't think that I would have um, really been fixated on con the concept of grade point averages. You know, I don't, I, I think the concept of a grade point average is, is perfect when you're going from high school into college, because a lot of times that's important. But once you're in college, do you know what they call, do you know what they call the guy or girl who graduates last? Like the very, <laughs> very bottom, couldn't get any further, the bottom of their class in med school? I do not. They call them doctor. <laughs> that's a good Do you know one. what they call the, the, the guy or girl that graduates first in their class? Doctor. Same thing, right? Exactly. So I just don't think that, I think it's about learning and now, if, if grades are a vehicle to something that you want to get because you want to go get your PhD at Oxford, then great. Then go get great grades, like by all means. But that's you're, you're treating it as a vehicle. But it's about learning and it's about the life experiences. 
and and making sure that you really eat up those life experiences and not getting fixated on any one particular thing. It would be like eating all of one particular food, but ultimately that's not healthy. So my final question has to do with the theme of of non-impossible and such a wonderful way to think about everything in life. And it's something that you've certainly proved to be true time and again. And we haven't dug into these amazing things that you've done. I'll just quickly, you know, whether it was helping the graphic artist tempt who'd lost the use of his body due to ALS disease or with Daniel, the South Sudanese boy who lost his arms and the amazing way you harness technology to give these incredible human beings and beyond um, joy in their lives and utility. Can you share a time from your youth, Mick, or, or, you know, earlier in your professional life where things look to be impossible and you may have felt like giving up? How did you persevere and come out the other side? Gosh, it's a really good question. I needed to, I needed to get a scholarship to go to college. And to do that, I knew that I was, I was a decent student, you know, but uh, I knew that basketball was going to be a vehicle for me. So I really, really super, really doubled, tripled down on that to try to use that as a vehicle to be able to, to help me get into schools. And I was horrible. <laughs> when I, I didn't even start my freshman and sophomore year. And, but I was so committed to it that I was just, I was just like the little engine that could. And I think that there were so many times that it was so demotivating sitting on the bench, you know, watching people who were already, they were better, they were clearly better and still having to kind of keep that, I guess, belief that I could somehow do it. I think that that was probably an example of when I was young in my professional career. I mean, look, I think the one thing is that anytime anybody ever tells you when they're trying to broker a deal, do a deal, whether it be real estate or finance or partnerships or whatever it might be, there's always this sense of nervousness where you look at things and you're like, this is just not going to happen. There's just no way this is going to happen. But you still got to pick yourself up and, and get back into it. And that's happened to me a couple of times with just talking to people about the things that we're doing. And I'm like, there's no way they're going to want to do something with us. There's just, it just doesn't line up. And then lo and behold, something does. So I know that that doesn't give you a specific example, but I think it's just a, a belief that I have and that people who work for me at Unimpossible have, which is it's better to be in the arena, right? And I better to be able to, to say that you're in the arena and in the game trying than sitting back and you know, over-evaluating whether or not something can or can't work. And when you realize that well, there's no way this is going to work, you don't have to get out of the arena. You can still stay there and see if you can push through. And we've had that happen a couple times where we just stuck it out a little bit longer and then something broke through. Mick, this has been so wonderful. I cannot thank you enough for making time for coffee with me and with the whole Java Junkie community. And we should say that all of this is being recorded before we've launched Time for Coffee. And Mick is the kind of guy, he doesn't know me. He's just doing a favor for a person he doesn't know in order to help all of you. So 
Mick, I wish you continued success in everything that you do through Not Impossible and helping all of us to recognize how really there's nothing that's impossible. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And if I may do that, the plug on if you want to find out about more about some of the stories that we're telling, some of the things that we're doing, either with the awards that we give to other people, people possibly like some of the people that are listening to your podcast right now. Or listen to the podcast, our podcast about the stories that people are out making the impossible not impossible. Then uh, go to notimpossible.com. We'd love to have you help and join our community. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.